expeditions, frozen alien monsters, slave races, shogoth, choo-choo train slime, evil dissections, giant albino penguins, space yetis, ocean cities, elder ones, alien art criticism. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more on this episode of My Arms Are Lasers, featuring H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. Let's read books. Welcome to My Arms Are Lasers, the internet's best sci-fi book club. And only, I believe. I believe we're the only ones to talk about science fiction on the internet. Do people on the internet like sci-fi? Find out. (laughs) (laughs) Only on this podcast. Only on this podcast, because we're the only one. (laughs) (laughs) No one on the internet likes sci-fi. We're the only podcast. Uh, welcome to My Arms Are Lasers. This week, as you heard on that lovely intro, we are talking about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, the L- L- Cthulhu mythos, and specifically his longest work ever, which is still not that long. It, I knocked it out in like a night or two. Yeah. At the Mountains of Madness, which is a novella. It was, I, I, what is it, like 120 pages, if that? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Around. Well, let's see, I could tell you... Uh... I, I'm not that see, worried. About see, we it. don't know how long it is because it's all every. It's not a single book. It's all like within collections. Exactly. Because it's about a hundred pages. Hundred pages. <laughs> so H.P. Lovecraft, and that's that. Maybe is a good way to segue into Lovecraft himself. H.P. Lovecraft was primarily a short story writer. He worked in the uh, mainly in the 20s and the 30s as a horror and what he dubbed as weird fiction. Like he thought it wasn't quite horror, it wasn't quite thriller, it wasn't quite science fiction. He loved. He kind of created his own genre, which he called weird fiction, which was specifically, uh, you know, his. <laughs> books that are are stories that are weird, uh, but specifically kind of enthrall, but also kind of terrify and unnerve people who read them rather than just scare them. So Kind of like an earlier Bizarro type, which yeah. I guess is kind of a I always, theme I, now. I always found him to be an interesting author because what I read is that he desperately wanted to be taken seriously and fit in with other famous writers of his time, and no one gave him. He he never he well he didn't quite do it. He and he he lived off of his family, and he just well he was he wasn't known in his time like it was. He, right, yeah, until well, he died. a little bit, right? A little bit. He was known in in many circles, but he uh, as he that has, weird kid, that weird ki- <laughs> pale kid, the one who eats paste in the corners and talks <laughs> about eldritch horrors. Uh, yeah, he he was a primarily like pulp writer. Like he wrote serialized to things like weird tales and amazing stories, like those classic, you know, sort of what eventually became like the EC Comics type uh, fantastic tales to thrill and amaze mostly 12-year-olds. <laughs> um, but, you know, he got he he fancied himself to be like the next Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. but but uh, you know th- that kind of fiction was really kind of supersaturated. He was not an educated man. He lived in uh, New England. Uh, Were but, they're uneducated? Well, no, but no offense, he, I think he was always quite. Uh, he was always quite self um, conscious about his education. So he consumed voraciously every single book 
uh, and newspaper and anything that he given. So he's he's an autodidact, really. Uh, but and you can really t- see that in his work because sometimes he will get affixed on like a specific topic and spend five pages talking about like the 18th century architecture in like Boston. And you're like, <laughs> why does this guy know so much about architecture in Boston? And you realize he he read. Like three books on the subject, and it's like, <laughs> I really gotta put this do, in here. Do you think he was doing that while he was writing, like, like a long time ago when I was writing a, a fantasy uh, book? Yeah. And I was reading Lord of the Rings, and like columns of that would show up. I'm like, oh, suddenly <laughs> yeah. there are elves here, <laughs> and they have weird names. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that he, he overcompensated a little bit in his writing. Uh, but. You know, he's written numerous things, uh, the most famous of which, obviously, is The Call of Cthulhu. Which, obviously. Mm-hmm. Which, um, which Aaron and I saw a play adaptation of a couple weeks ago uh, here in L.A. Was it everyone with, like, you know, those, was, those gloves it was a one man to the front of their mouth? No, it was show. actually done like really Zoidberg. well. They had, like, a, a puppetry thing going on. So, the, like, it was mostly a one-man show as the narrator, like the classic H.P. Lovecraft protagonist, who's like this academic who kind of stumbles across this pap- these papers, and then as he got into like the papers he would find, he would then switch to the, the, the point of this, view, the point of view, and like put on the <laughs> so accent played, of like the Louisiana yeah. sheriff who, who came across a cult that worshipped a dark god out in the swamp. Okay, that's weird if you can never do that one again, <laughs> that particular one. Well, we should, we should give, um, we, we should give that playhouse a shout out for talking about it. it was at the Lex Theater. Yeah, the Lex Theater uh, near McCadden yeah. Street uh, yeah. in L.A. And I think it's still going. Not that any of you listening are in L.A., but if you are, you know, try to check it out. I think it, it got an extended run, but it was like a one-man play, and it was it was a, the classic protagonist Rachel Lovecraft where he's just kind of like this sniveling scaredy cat <laughs> academic who slowly gets sucked deeper and deeper into like reading all these letters and papers and realizing there's some horrible supernatural terror that is lurking in the darkness and has been subtly influencing humanity for eons and he just kind of uh, you know stumbles into it uh, and pops up in Mountains of Madness exactly yeah. and then by the end of it uh, the Cthulhu has sort of awoken and wants to come for the supper. audience he wants to come for supper and so there's literally they had a giant Cthulhu like tentacle monster inflate, inflate and like send yeah. its tentacles oh, cool. out into yeah. the audience it was pretty neat actually I that thought was they did like a great job their big it. finish it was cool yeah. but that's sort of H.P. Lovecraft's thing is that each story is not self-contained uh, you know, in its own world, they're all connected and they're all written in the same universe, which, uh, you know, it's called the Cthulhu mythos, but I, he just, he didn't really have a name for it. But you'll notice that almost every one of his short stories over the course of his 30-some year career will make just abstract references to the same sort of uh, creatures and the same... Uh, uh, folklore that he invented, like the you'll he- constantly hear cool. references to like the Necronomicon, which mm-hmm. was uh, written by the Mad Prophet, like Abin Al Azrael. Oh, he loved talking about the Necronomicon. Yeah, especially which, he was really into that. So ne- the Necronomicon, you probably have heard of it from you know the Bruce Campbell Evil Dead shit, but that's actually invented by H.P. Lovecraft, and it was like his go-to ancient evil tome that contained all of the secrets oh, of Oh, he, he invented the idea of the Necronomicon? Yeah. That's his. See, I didn't realize that 
in re- researching for this book, I didn't realize that he created Cthulhu. I just thought it was kind of like an yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah, a myth, his, his myth. Yeah, and th- yeah, he's really good at that. Uh, he's not good at uh, uh, simplicity, <laughs> and he's not good at at direct descriptions. Uh, <laughs> but he is really good at world building, like, and that's what's made him, I think. Uh, last as long as he has. Like, that's why people still reference him, reference things yeah. as Lovecraftian, because he created a form and he really fleshed out, like, the mythology of it. Same with Tolkien. The world building was excellent. Yeah, the world building. The world building is excellent. I, if only we could feel like we were immersed more actively in some of the scenes, then it would have just really resonated oh, with sure. me. But, yeah, the world building was. Yeah, it seemed like the story was just a way for for people to to see his world that he just made up. Yeah, he's like, let's just talk about this (laughs) world. And you'll find that that to be the case uh, with a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's work. You know, he gets a lot of slammed and somewhat rightly for for being very obtuse and like not knowing how to do dialogue properly. So he just doesn't do it. (laughs) So he just doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. That's what (laughs) I love about it. It was like, so then he... So then, uh, you know, Dr. Telos relayed to me this information. He said that this, this, and this happened. Like, he, he doesn't actually say, Dr. Telos said. <laughs> so it's like when someone's write, trying to write restaurant and they don't know how to spell it. They're like, that, that, restaurant, that, that, place to get food. Yes. Cafe. Well, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, Dracula, which is relayed in a series of letters and diaries. Yeah, yeah, it's very epistolary. Which, which does exp- explain some of, of that, why he doesn't go into the stories because it's it's him like relaying the story and if you were relaying it to someone you would be more like and then i explained this concept and then we felt scared but even so as a novel it affects how much you feel immersed in the world yeah and and, uh, yeah (laughs) i i personally after i had gotten through i think the second of his collections i i perversely started to kind of like that (laughs) <laughs> like I, I like start- it to like know your strengths and play to them. Yeah, it yeah. started to become kind of fun. If like, your crappy okay. writing is going to take people out of the story, just do- yeah, stick just, to your strengths. Yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> I, I started to really like the idea of just this like this like quivering coward academic just like writing <laughs> and just like I can't even begin to describe it, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it. It didn't bother me when we were in an action scene. It was more when we got to those long passages where he wasn't doing anything and going on tangents. He was just explaining things yeah that's when it kind of <laughs> <laughs> lost me a little bit. but when when they were going through the tunnels and he would kind of break off at that point i was in it enough that i it worked better for me yeah okay so maybe we should get into here a little bit of what the cthulhu mythos is you know what specifically this world that he's built well is it, referencing. it doesn't seem like this book was really centered around yeah, the it, the Cthulhu it was himself. Briefly mentioned. It, well, but the Cthulhu mythos reference, refers to the greater, like, abstract horrors that lurk in the dark okay. that are all involved with each other. Sure, so, I'd like to hear a little bit about that because I this was my first H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. And, well, I recommend list, reading Call of Cthulhu as well because it's it's a similar format, but it's much shorter. It's thirty pages. Listen, <laughs> both of these at the Mountains of Madness, and I think the Call of Cthulhu are for free on audiobook on YouTube. Mm. Oh, cool! Which yeah, is how it's I listen. Yeah. yeah. It cool. scared the shit out of me. I'll, t- I'll tell the story later. <laughs> so, in H.P. Lovecraft's like short story universe, tell us, Grandpa Walkie. Yes, uh, 
Usually, as I mentioned before, usually the protagonist is just some modern day academic, you know, like a PhD candidate or somebody who kind of like failed to really make an impact. But and what do you mean by modern day? Tell us the like time period. Modern day being 1920s or 30s. That's when his stories were set. Oh, the Zeppelin era. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. It was sort of like this age of scientific discovery, and like you have to be a truly scientific man, your skepticism, uh, you know, has to be uh, applied to everything. And so his characters will skeptically see like these hints at some supernatural horror, and be like, "Well, I'll just dig deeper and see what it's really about." Uh, and then the deeper they go. Uh, they will start to realize that, oh, this small town is actually populated by people who are descended from fishmen that emerged from the, the sea and uh, and are trading, like, our infants for gold. <laughs> and this, like, horrible... Is this actually an HBO Lovecraft? Yeah, that one, I believe, is called The Shadow Over In's Mouth. <laughs> and it's actually... Spoiler really alert! Is it called A Penny for My Baby? <laughs> Penny for my fish, baby. Uh, or it'd be like the thing on the doorstep, which was about a guy who was like, research- his friend was researching one of his ancestors who was a Salem witch. Uh, and then as he, the further he researches, the further he he realizes that his friend was actually becoming possessed by that Salem witch. And then eventually, uh, cool. at, at the end of the story, uh, he's completely gone. Like, his friend is gone. He's been taken over by the Salem Witch, and then a thing shows up on the doorstep, and he realizes that the mind transference goes both ways, and the thing on the doorstep that was warning him was his friend's mind in the 300-year-old corpse of his ancestor. <laughs> the like, witch. The yeah, witch. Yeah. The witch's body. They switch bodies. Yeah. So... Dun, it's, dun, dun. it's always like you know it's almost film noir in a way or or noir in a way where like the digger the further you deep the further you are way out of your depth and it's impossible for you well, to do anything about in it. the mountains true, of, of yeah. madness uh he does go into that one passage where as as and we'll get more into this later i'm sure but he mentions how this mythology of whatever came down and is now, you know, in the Mountains of Madness, is related to what created Cthulhu. Yes. So so that particular aspect of Lovecraft's universe is that, uh, and you'll see this time and time again, he's written like 30 stories and all of them eventually reveal this, (laughs) uh, is that uh, billions of years ago, bef- when we were like pre-embryonic life, he really wanted to rewrite Earth's history. Yeah, these mm-hmm. titans of like unfathomable power came down and, and essentially created life on Earth um, in order to just rule it as part of their cosmic <laughs> empire. Uh, and then they they, they eventually they eventually warred with each other. And then some of them flew off. Some of them stayed buried. Uh, and it, I believe in, in the Mountains of Madness, they actually hint that humanity wasn't even created uh, for any real purpose other than just as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, like the, like the, all the other ones were made for them to use, use as farming and stuff. And then they made, you know, ape humans <laughs> just to, as like court jesters. I really <laughs> need masturbating apes. Yeah, exactly. Humans. So and so eventually all the aliens leave, you know, all and their creations are kind of left to their own devices and then we we kind of grow up and then we think we're the 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 badass center of the universe and the horror is a very psychological one when we realize that we are just a, a huge joke 
mistake, and there are these un- beings of unfathomable power that want nothing more than to rise up and consume everything <laughs> and destroy it with their completely foreign uh, and alien, uh, you know, and extremely advanced and, and intricate minds. And you know, I mean, the lengths he went to to describe what they left behind it made it sound like they were eons ahead of us. Yeah. And, and so the, the the plot of Mountains of Madness is there. It, it, it starts with this guy who he's an explorer is an explorer, and he's recounting this the this. Uh, let, let's just oh, the uh, Miskatonic. Yeah. Okay. He, so he there, works for Miskatonic University. He goes on an expedition. The beginning is a lot like the thing, yeah. where there was a previous expedition, and. Something went terribly wrong and people were killed. And now he is going to look into what they were looking into to figure out what happened to them. Is it? Is, is it kind of like no. that? The premise is like this guy has no, ar- they're just going for this setup. guy has already gone and come back, and then another expedition is going, and he's writing this as a letter of warning. No, but isn't there another layer? Right, because in his sorry, I'm going ahead. I think <laughs> in his story, once he tells his story to try to stop the next expedition, in his yeah, story, gearing up, getting in ready. his story, in his, his story, expedition splits in two. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what I was referring to. The <laughs> part of his expedition was. Uh, harmed, so then he goes to see what happened to that part of his expedition. Yeah, so, so that's what I meant. That reminded me of the thing. Right. And so the, the uh, initially the expedition is just uh, I'm going to go to Antarctica with some funding I got from Miskatonic mm-hmm. University, which you'll see in a you know every Lovecraft. It's always which, Arkham and Miskatonic University. Yeah, which like, he made up. Which is I, I looked this up right before this podcast and. This is just an example of his world building. Is like he made up that university, yeah, named after the Miskatonic River. In parentheses, also made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about then the, the point of view. So sorry. So to start in the very beginning, he is writing his account to try to prevent anyone from going through what he went through. Yes, because it, I kind of like that premise. You, yeah, because you have to remember, and this is something that kind of occurred to me as I was you know reading this, is that. You know, at the time that this was written in the 1930s, Antarctica, Antarctica was still largely unexplored. It w- can you imagine like a land that no one that just has like huge, like the size of North America that no one has really explored, other than a couple of people who went to the middle and then came back, and the rest of it is cold. unseen. It's super cold, it's cold there. Bullshit. I know, but they we don't, we know that now. Like saying, like I'm oh, pretty sure people back then knew how cold how cold it was. it was. That's cold. why they didn't want to go. <laughs> they knew it was cold, but they didn't know it was barren. They didn't know that there was nothing there. For all they knew, there was just like this huge continent of mountains with you know, maybe they thought there's like in there. it was just a second mystery. equator with like a jungle full of living yeah. Dinosaurs it could have been there. the lost world in there. Uh, and and this really kind of taps into that fear of the unknown, which is something that Lovecraft does do extraordinarily well by finding like ways that we he can really kind of uh, exploit that fear. Like we don't know what is in there, and it's just been sitting there for literally billions of years, waiting for someone to you know spring the trap on Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. So this guy he went on an expedition. And now he's writing his account to try to. Pr- prevent people from doing what he did but when he tells his account as we get into it basically his camp splits in two and then something terrible happens to half of it and he goes to investigate and then it becomes sort of like a a mystery 
uh, of what happened to these people. Our protagonist, uh, Professor Dyer. Yeah. yeah. And then they, the second or the first part of the expedition is led by Professor Lake. Lake. Yep. So he's he goes and forms like the advanced team. Yeah. Um, they have a dog. So the yeah, first thing they notice, a bunch of sled dogs. They, the first thing they notice when they show up is, uh, is at once they get past the kind of initial rim uh, of the ice shelf that there are these giant mountains, like larger. I think they said like four times the size of Everest, like beyond imagining. Uh, that oh, yeah, constantly compared to the Himalayas, and they're like, yeah, yeah it's definitely taller than them. Yeah, yeah and they ha- it has like volcanic action coming out and just completely alien. Uh, and so instantly half the team is like, while you guys finish taking your core samples, which turn up some weird artifacts when they're digging into the ice, uh, while you finish that up, the rest of us are going to go go form a scouting party and just to investigate those mountains and see what's at the top of them. Uh, and as they, they're communicating via radio initially, but then the, the, it suddenly goes radio silent. Like because what of happened? a storm. Because of a storm, but then they can't then get they back can't. in touch with them. So... Um, Mysterious. So we eventually discover that the scouting party that went ahead, that was not with our narrator, uh, as they went higher into the mountains, they started seeing these giant, so what are called like non-Euclidean or cyclopean geometry, which are cyclopean both, is one of his favorite words. Yeah, that's something that Lovecraft uses all the time. All the time. What does that mean? Cyclopean. I was like, okay, a building with one eye. What? Yeah, just it's, you know that one. Yeah. Well, I think it's, looking, it was it circular. Was, it's used for many vaguely related to Cyclops. Well, I, yeah, I think it was more referencing the the lame X Man. Yeah, just sort of like that, an ancient uh, something something. I don't know. It's it, it, yeah, Cyclopean and Eldritch are two of his favorite words. So th- there's all these weird obelisks that are at, at right angles that are not how human logic would build an obelisk. And there's how oh, I would build my obelisk. <laughs> and there's all these like weird caves that have vents uh, that, of what appears to be smoke coming out of them. Uh, and as they venture further in, they realize that in one of these caves is... Well, wait, you're already in the caves? They haven't... I thought you were describing... I was describing what they found in the cave. After they find the camp that's been... No, no, no. This is... Uh... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Pre... This is... Pre... There's this a lot of cave still... exploring. This is when they're still communicating via radio. So they get these... The scouting party goes down into the cave, and inside the cave they find bones from every eon. And but what's crazy about them is that the bones look like they have been precisely like chopped up and vivisected by by like expert hands, but sixty five million years ago, you know. So there's like dinosaur bones and mastodon bones and, and from the past like hundred million years, all of them collected in one place as if they had, they were doing something with this, them. This seems like okay. The guy Dyer who's telling the story, he's like. Please, I'm telling you this so like no one else comes and explores <laughs> this. Please don't look at all this cool shit I found. There's so much cool stuff here. Yeah. Like I probably would have just kept the cool stuff to myself yeah. and then just said the evil yeah, things. He's like, yeah, he's like, surely whoever discovers brings this back will become rich and wealthy and famous beyond yeah. his wildest <laughs> dreams. But don't go there. Don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so that that excites them, and then they continue their excavations, and then suddenly there's radio silence. Eventually, our protagonist goes yeah. and find tr- goes after them and finds their camp. Well, here's over, while they're communicating via radio, they found they found beings eleven 
Oh, that's right. Eleven yeah. beings that were so weird. They had star-shaped heads mm-hmm. and wings and like tough, leathery skin. Yeah, and wing, and they couldn't like, tell if they were part animal or part plant. Uh, and they were resilient beyond anything that that they you know have been encountered in the mortal realm. I think you did a pretty good job of describing them because in, yeah. in my head I pictured it. I honestly was kind of impressed because that's the most he's ever described any monster. <laughs> <laughs> the way he did it. Well, it's written very technical, yeah. uh, sterile. As if they were yeah. like, you know, dissecting them and like taking measurements. It was very precise. Yeah. So in this cave, they find find these giant, el- well, they eventually refer to as the elder things, which are these sort of like tube-like winged uh, leathery creatures that have been frozen in these columns that they yeah. carefully excavate and then start to thaw to try to to dissect and see what they're made from. Because Professor Lake was like, oh yeah, this looks like the, f- the one thing, the one book we read in university. Um, you know, the one that drove people to Necronomicon. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first of many mentions. Yep. Looks exactly like the things from Cthulhu, or what do they call them? Yeah. The Elder Ones. I'm going to call them that. The Elder Things. This uh, will go well for us. <laughs> so they, um, so, and then shortly after that is when it, the, the, the radio goes silent. And so our protagonist goes and finds the camp. Uh, and no, sure enough, when they go there, uh, the, the Elder Things are gone for the most part. But they find uh, all the people there have just been massacred in what appears to be some sort of like terrible event. And uh, and some are missing. Some things from the camp are yeah, missing. Some th- and some a, people, a person, is, a dog is missing. Yeah, yeah. One person, one dog. Um, one of their sleds. All and- the people are cut up. There's one on a, a like a table that was dissected crudely. Yeah, but it, but we're clearly with some sort of intent. <laughs> uh, and I think at this point, it's safe to say all of us assumed that the things that they had gotten out of the ice came to life and yeah. well, the, the, fucked them up, right? There were six star-shaped mounds. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, some they of them buried were buried. Them. Yeah. So I think the ones that had died, uh, that had been killed, or what... The it, specimens that were, like, too mangled. Yeah. I think they had been the ceremonially buried mm-hmm. by the monsters, the elder things that had woken up in, after millennia. Uh, and murdered everyone. They're like, oh, what did you do to my other el- elder things? I need to bury you guys. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so he was sorry. my favorite elder thing. <laughs> yeah. Come, elder things. Um, At this point in the book, but first time listening to this story, I did the book on tape on YouTube. Yeah. And it's read by this guy who has like this very monotone, deep, kind of scary voice, which fit this story very well. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was creepy. And I work, I work nights in this big, empty building working on a reality show so i'm by myself most of the time and i was just listening into it it got to this part where like yeah the, the dude was dissected on the table everything Clearly blood everywhere horrendous had happened yeah. yeah and i was like jesus and then like my shift ended and so i'm like walking through this empty building <laughs> this creaky freight elevator <laughs> out into like the darkness of the parking lot and it literally scared the shit out of me. <laughs> they're coming for you Nick. yeah like, <laughs> I, I i'm not a big horror guy but i'm not i'm not a sissy i, I, I don't get scared I, I could hold my own i have a knife yeah I, which was out <laughs> I, I will say that like when 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 hp lovecraft decides to like flip that switch yeah you know after you know hours of monotonous like talking and descriptions and then suddenly like 
uh, okay, like this is the build up, the build up, and then oh, just, I've stumbled into my nightmare. Yeah, ah, geez, yeah. Like it, it actually hits a just a little bit harder because you've been waiting for it for so long. It's not and, been yeah, started. yeah. And he's so direct about it. And then they were just splayed well, open. Eventually, open. he's direct about it. Like at first, yeah. he's like, "The things I saw were so terrible. I cannot describe them. It's just, it's the worst things I've ever <laughs> seen. The blood and stuff. And he wouldn't mention specifics." Yeah. But eventually he would come around. Yeah, and, and then and he would just lay it out. And you're like, it out. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I will say that never again, like in the story, got me as scared as that. Like, mm-hmm. Aaron said it earlier, like the mystery of the unknown. But he started explaining stuff. And so I'm like, oh, it's really more world building. Mm-hmm. And like, I felt more at home and not scared. Even when the thing came at the end, I was like, yeah. Well, towards <laughs> the end, what I really liked was the part where. You realize, first of all, they're going through all of the, the tunnels trying to get to the center of the Mountains of Madness. Um, yeah, they re- I think they realize that the, the scientific uh, element inside them realized that they, was cu- they have to explore as much as they can while they were there. Yeah, but w- they discover all these uh, cave etchings, and they're all very sophisticated. But then when they get to the part where they see some that look like a creature trying to imitate them as if they've been copied by a different creature. That was cool. That was creepy to me. <laughs> that got me because I was like, oh my God, there's something else, not just these creatures. And I really liked that twist. So maybe we should talk about Shogoths. Okay. Well, Dyer and his sidekick, Danforth, which I love his name. Yeah. His Danforth. name is the perfect Danforth. name for like a subordinate mm-hmm. or yeah. a subordinate or a butler or a gentleman manservant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Danforth. Danforth, yeah. <laughs> fetch me my slippers. I'm going to venture out and attack these monsters. Yeah. <laughs> Watch you go, Danforth. Yonder. I don't know. Yeah. So, okay. So they, they're driven ever onward to try to discover what precisely the nature the full nature of the these cave systems are that that are kind of built into the the mountains of madness well they Antarctica. come across this ancient city then the, yeah they're, they're, they're searching for survivors the one man and one dog yeah, once yeah they're they, still looking for survivors but they they kind of do like a plane at one point they they get in a plane and do a quick survey of the like over the lip of the mountain that they couldn't quite see over and then they realize it's just a giant wall eight billion year old city made from horrific uh you know, Cyclopean. black stones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they begin to explore, uh, both out of scientific curiosity and also to perhaps discover what became of the the last two uh, members of the party <laughs> since they were still missing. Um, Danforth and Dot, or no, not is a gent, gently or something. Get Getney. Gent, get, get, Getney. Getney. And Dogforth. Oh, Getney. <laughs> Getney's dog was Dog Dogforth. Dogforth. <laughs> Danforth, Dogforth, and Getney ventured onward into the alien city. Well, like, yeah, so they basically land in the middle of the city and stumble upon probably the biggest mural in Earth's history. Yeah, it's just an mm-hmm. o- ongoing, elaborate alien bar relief uh, <laughs> carvings uh, which depicted essentially the whole history of this city which had lasted for like I think they at one point estimated like the city had existed for like 60 million years or something like that yeah. which I suppose which is like it, the newest it was the, like yeah. 100 it's what, billion, yeah it was you know, built like a billion years ago and, and then and then <laughs> existed all the way up to about 60 million years ago when the aliens w- left <laughs> um, and the, it depicts the whole creation myth like the, of the 
the aliens coming down and sort of yeah. establishing their sa- signposts across Earth and then creating life. At this at this point in the book, it's just basically a finally. H.P. Lovecraft, he's like, all right, here's my world. Here's the yeah. world. Here it is. Here's here it is, everything. Here. Let's we, talk we, about let's it. Did enough story here. Yeah, so they they create... <laughs> they create life on Earth, life but they also Earth. create uh, this race that they call the Shoggoths, or it's that's what they're called according to the Necronomicon, so that's the name they gave them, uh, which are essentially these... They're a slave race that uh, can form into just about any shape and therefore, you know, can do just about anything for you. But they're, but they're described... Shape of tractor! Yeah! Yeah, they're, ba- <laughs> they're basically press. the Wonder Twins of the horrible alien world. Uh, which and which doesn't, doesn't this sound like, like just the classic, maybe first really great example of a sentient being creating something to help them that obviously is going right. to become very evil yeah oh yeah it's like well it's, it's like, like it's the terminator story yeah right? it's like the terminator without machines yeah which actually kind of was mentioned i think unlike the the elder ones mentioned out there that their race came from somewhere on a planet but they've existed forever even experimented with like ai or yeah mechanical uh-huh. bodies but they're like nah 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 and then they no, organics back. the way to go yeah <laughs> Horrible body horrors, really, yeah. what's for us. <laughs> uh, they, so they create these things called the Shoggoths, which initially are just sort of like these brainless, dumb blobs. It's They're described as sort of black ichor that... Uh, that eyes everywhere. That have eyes that kind of form and, and disappear as needed, but usually there's about 30 of them on the front that kind of bubble in through this <laughs> blobby Sounds shape. Sounds terrifying. Uh, um, that they kind of just roam around and do their bidding, and they like, build us more yeah. alien ruins! And they're like, blah, blah, but yes, sir, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, Hornshack, build us up, Hornshack. But it's kind of a cool concept here that I, 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 you know, I hadn't heard before. But it was the in the telling of the history of this city over the course of like a, from you know one billion BC up to sixty million uh, BC. You you find out that the Shoggoths uh, start to evolve when you're on right. that That's sort of cool. time scale, and they They're start learning. to get smarter. Exactly, exactly. And, and they start to develop like their own kind of uh, self awareness. Uh, and at one point, once they, they have songs, their own songs, their own music. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was another element that was pretty terrifying. With what they said, at first you just hear like the the odd like polyphonic whistling in the wind and at first he thinks it's wind and uh you hear it throughout the book of like this sort of like whistling on the wind oh yeah and then you realize at by the end that that's the sound of shoggoths uh screaming or talking to one another and this polyphonic whistling like and so you you realize that the um what i was talking about is that they actually started to try to write on the walls and etch their own yeah um after they taken over the side, they're they, like, "Oh, this yeah. is us." So, so they actually took creepy. over from yeah. their owners. Yeah, there was like a Shagat slave rebellion. Yeah, uh, and they they overtook the city from the elder things that had lived there as this sort of ruling class. The elder things being those weird tube. Well, there, there, there was things. there was the Shagath Rebellion, but the, that was quelled. The, that was quelled, but then it seems to have succeeded later. Yeah, yeah, this is... At some point, yeah. Yeah, as the Earth got cooler in the Ice Age, I think is what they said. The Elder Things yeah. didn't know how to deal with the Ice Age, so they kind of mostly left or went into subterranean but after, stasis. But this is... But after, like, the, um, the initial Shagath War... <laughs> 
as we got. They also were attacked by several other races from other planets. Yeah, one which of which kind were of cool. the the Cthulhu uh, spawn, which yeah. I guess were like children of Cthulhu or maybe like his race of people. But also there's the Migo, which is from another H.P. Lovecraft story, mm-hmm. which are described essentially as the source of the Yeti myth. So they're basically space space Yetis. Well, here, here I have the, the quote here. During the Jurassic Age, the old ones met fresh adversity in the form of a new invasion from outer space. This time by half-fungus half-crustacean creatures from a planet identifiable as the remote and recently discovered Pluto. Apparently they come from Pluto. Uh, creatures undoubtedly... I think those are the Yith or something. That's no, another... No, 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 this is the, the, the Migo. Creatures oh. undoubtedly the same as those figuring in certain whispered hill legends of the North, remembered in the Himalayas as the Migo, or Abominable Snowman. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. So that's actually from another H.P. Lovecraft famous short story called The Whisperer in the Darkness. There's a race called the Migo that come to Earth, and their master plan is to uh, essentially convince humans to join them on their on uh, their voyage back to Pluto. <laughs> and it, but the only way that humans can survive is if they voluntarily have their brains removed and put into uh, like silver cylinders. And then and with like a little speaker attached to it, which sounds super like tropey sci-fi now. Very 30s. <laughs> but that <laughs> well, was exactly. actually the first occasion of the brain in a vat, uh, like trope in science fiction literature was the Whisper in the Darkness. And the, the, the name of the story, Whisper in the Darkness, refers specifically to... Uh, you know, as the the protagonist un- reveals, like this is what's been happening. Uh, he goes to his friend's house, who initially told him about it, and um, and there's like a, a sort of a body, uh, like a, a human shape, kind of sitting in the corner, uh, and he thinks it's his friend there trying to convince him, like, yes, I'm going to do it. Uh, I've decided I'm going to go with them and have my brain put in a cylinder. You really should, too. These Migo have it all figured out. Like, it's really <laughs> cool, and you should come with us to go to, to Pluto. We go. Migo. Uh, yeah, and, the, and then he's go. like, he said he sensed something was off uh, in this conversation, so he kind of quietly backed out of the room. And then he came back later and realized that uh, his he saw that uh, his friend was actually dead uh, and had been dead Called for it. some time. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Whisper in the Darkness was actually a Mego alien himself trying to convince this guy by tricking him into giving Are him his using brain. using his friend's voice? Yes. But he, like, he, had, he found his friend's brain already in a cylinder and like he was try- and this whisper in the darkness was a, wh- a whispering Migo <laughs> trying to convince the guy to come with him for whatever dark These alien Migos purpose. have it all figured out. They're very hip and with it. Yeah. I, I appreciate I, I appreciate that alien's uh, commitment to willingly get this guy to go with him instead of just knocking him out and being like, You're yeah. coming with me. Like you <laughs> have to decide. It seems like a giant yeah. Yeti could do that. Well, I think maybe whatever reason whatever thing they were using the brains for, they were keeping them alive and giving them some sort of multitask. Maybe they I mean it's more interesting this way. I mean it's a cool yeah. story. So but anyway, that that's another example of him just taking like a whole alien race that he's created in another short story and just dumping it in here. Like, oh, by the way, the Shoggoths, they've fought with the Migo at some point. Uh, 
And there's reference to the Cthulhu spawn, which is the Cthulhu. Uh, and then there's uh, a reference to, I think, Nyarlathotep at some point, which is another H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft monster. He He's from a whole other thing called the Dream Cycle, which actually ties into the Cthulhu mythos because of these references. But he's, sort of, he's essentially a, a, a creature that's sort of like an astral spirit that uh, lives in what's called the Dreamlands. That essentially is another plane of existence that we potentially could go to when we sleep. Well, you just got to follow the North Star. Yeah, yeah basically <laughs> an evil, vaguely Egyptian Peter Pan, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he started getting like that heavily into it, I was like, holy shit, he is just like laying it all out there at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is no question that that this is the sort of it's an outline with sentences instead of bullet points this is his longest work he tied it all together yeah it was just like him taking that needle and threading it through everything it's like let there be no question oh uh so i I was like was it just like hinted at it's like oh maybe they created life or did the mural actually say that it created life and apparently it they did Um, yeah Here's the, the, the part of the book. It says, It was under the sea, at first for food and later for other purposes, that they first created earth life, using available substance, substances according to long-known methods. But yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yep. and as I mentioned before, they created most life just for like cattle and stuff, just to, to eat. Mm-hmm. And then they, they created, at one point it says like, And it, I noticed in the corner of the throne room in the bar-relief depiction that there was an ape-like creature, not unlike our own ancestors, <laughs> who, who appeared to be treated as a jester might be treated for comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> that they created on a lark. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. I imagine them just like flapping their wings in outer space because it said they could travel in On the ether, yeah. Probably in ships, but I'm just imagining like giant stingrays with starfish heads. Well, at yeah. this point, hey guys, everyone, let's go to this planet. Yay! Well, there's no the, food. Okay, let's create some. Yay! Well, you have to remember at this point, like the the idea that outer space was a vacuum was not entirely accepted by the scientific oh, yeah, community. They, like there were still like a minority that thought there might be something to this ether idea that there's some sort of substance that creatures could, in theory, swim through. Uh, from from planet to planet, <laughs> galaxy to galaxy. Hey guys, what do we do now? Let's create slaves! Yay! Yay! Oh my god, the rebelling! Ah, oh, let's go back in the ocean. Hey guys, some space brothers are here. Hey guys, oh, they're attacking, they're attacking us! us. Ah! So back in the caves. <laughs> so back in the caves. <laughs> um, actually, so y- just quickly, I have a sentence I wanted to talk about. Sure. So while they are going through the caves... Uh, for the last time, which I guess, are we not quite there yet? Should I wait? Uh, yeah, I, we're there. They I mean, tur- we're there. They spend a lot of time talking about <laughs> yeah. those caves. Yeah, they're in the caves <laughs> yeah. for a long time. They're looking at those etchings for a long time. And then finally, they're on their final. They've made a map out of what they found uh, etched on the walls, trying to figure out how to get to the main area where they think maybe the rest of their expedition is. And they're also kind of following the trail of whatever thing was in the camp. Yeah, oh, yeah they, they found yeah. sled tracks. Yeah. Also, they found a map of the city. And they're like, oh, it looks like when their race fled to live underwater at their underwater sea or city, looks like the tunnel's there. So they're kind of heading over there. They're like, oh, we should probably go down into this tunnel to see what's over there. Yeah, and so this is where it becomes like a very classic horror movie where... A bunch of creepy stuff is happening. They're finding bits of the camp. They're finding a weird smell. They're hearing creepy noises. Mm -hmm. And they're like, 
we're just gonna keep going and <laughs> yeah it just it made me laugh well, he's got danforth yeah yeah he's got danforth but danforth go fetch me some something out of that dark crevasse <laughs> and i felt like this sentence applies to all horror films where people just do stupid stuff and they just keep going and yeah. he right this after one of the first examples of that yeah and so right he after created that. he created everything yeah, yeah he basically <laughs> did i mean well right so right after they just find bits of camp and it's super creepy and it smells awful and it smells like what they smelled when they found the massacred bodies of the rest of their mm-hmm. expedition he says our motivation after that is something i will leave to psychologists <laughs> I, just, just, I love that because it's like yeah no one knows like, why at least he tried to address it yeah he did like, I thought like at, in that it basically is it, like in that abject horror state i had no i had no control yeah, of yeah. My sense. We don't have i know we should have fucking left yeah, yeah. but we were like bob we're gonna keep going oh this brings <laughs> up my uh i had a question for you guys what is your nope point like what t- oh, at what yeah. point are you like nope no, nope. not uh, this point. Oh, I don't know. Maybe when I see my colleague's body massacred <laughs> open, like as soon as he gets to that camp, I'm like, "All right, we should probably turn around." There are yeah. many levels, like uh, listeners. Okay, step one would be like, "Okay, Antarctic." Would you go there? Number one, I would. I would go to the Antarctic. Yes. Yeah, I will say that. Step two, airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Snowstorms. Uh, if the guys know, knew what they were doing, and they're maybe. professors, of course they know what they're doing. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Maybe. Okay. So step three. Okay, then I guess step three would be I don't know murder camp. Uh, murder, <laughs> murder camp. camp. <laughs> probably need to go home now. I would. I would probably go back and say like, hey, something crazy's happening. Let's get more money and go back with an army or something. Yeah. Which, this reminded me of Alien vs Predator for some mm. reason. Uh, oh, Alien vs Predator, the one where they're in the Antarctic, was based yeah. on this. Story, so was as was the thing to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Both of them were, were the at the mountains of madness kind of ripoffs. Also, this part reminds hey, me. Hey, don't of talk the, about the thing that way. The Yet Love it's Pass inspiration. <laughs> I love that movie. Also reminded me of the Yet Love Pass. Oh the, yeah, the, the Yet Love Pass incident, which is a real incident, but it has similar uh, undertones. It obviously copied the book. <laughs> Clearly, those Russians were copying the book when they died and were irradiated. Stupid Russians. Yeah. So step four would be you start um, to go into the caves and you smell the same smell that you smelled at the camp and you find garbage and other pieces of the camp strewn about in what I'm assuming <laughs> is a super claustrophobic set of tunnels that you're going through. Yeah, carved by some unknown alien being. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, okay, I guess step four, I don't know, four or five, what, Sea City Land mural, follow the mural hear noises and then eventually yeah. eventually find the rest of your camp dead right i mean yeah, so yeah that's like step six they found the missing guy like laid out on a sled and the, and dog. the dog and it's not they're like the dog. They, and i'm not sure was it at this moment where they kind of put the dots together and realized that is oh some of the elder ones i think alive. that they had known that the elder things had come alive but that was the moment when they realized Oh shit! We thought that the elder things were the bad guys here. We well, they, thought they were the monsters, that but were, they're not. But yeah, because they, they also were just found like, the elder things' bodies. Yeah, parts and, of them. And then th- that's when the the second horror kind of dawned on them. They were like, "Oh, they were actually just scientists like us." Imagine you wake up, at, you know, after being in stasis for a hundred million years. The first thing you're going to do is collect specimens and samples <laughs> and try to understand what's happened. Well, well, that's what they were doing themselves, uh, and so they, and so they, they're like, oh, they're they were actually kind scientific beings, 
so what killed them? And that's when the story kind of takes another shift. Yeah, I I really liked that twist because it I it it, it makes you rethink what we do as humans when we explore and we dissect things and we collect specimens and we always have the point of view of, oh, we found this. We can do whatever we want to it. we It's for science. And so this moment, you know, our main character realizes, oh my God, the things that killed my camp were just scientists like me who woke up and... Whoa there, easy, bro. Yeah. So yeah. really, <laughs> we just killed ourselves. <laughs> but then they realized that this something gun? was <laughs> killing them. Well, I thought it was interesting that he wasn't mad. He was like... I have the passage here. I don't have to read if it. If anything, but- it kind of freaked me more out. It's like, oh, this this creature just unmercifully just dissected. Yeah. Like, not even, like, out of anger or something. Oh, it's just very cold, sterile, just... But but we were dissecting them before they woke up. Right. So well, it was, We thought they were dead. Come on. And there was a language barrier, guys. They got confused. <laughs> no one knew what we to do. We speak in words. They speak in, like, ticks and knocks or clacks. Yeah, it was confusing. <laughs> so everyone was just like, oh, I should be dissecting you. I should be dissecting you. So, hello. <laughs> hello. Dissecting you, too. Good yeah. to dissect you. That's yeah. just how they said hello. Too. They just yeah. dissect each other. But something else is killing everything. Yeah, yeah. so that's where the, it kind of shifts into the third act. Like, oh, shit. What's the real monster here? And that's when you start to realize the Shoggoths. Giant penguins. Oh, yeah. Wait, I want to talk about the penguins. Yeah. Well, it's about this moment. They they see the bodies. They're like, oh. Then they hear noises. They're like, what is that? So this was like the best fake out horror movie moment where you hear these noises and sounds that they've been hearing for a long time. And everyone's (laughs) tense and scared. And Danforth is scared. And you're like, what is it? We're going to meet this monster. What's happening? And then... It's a giant albino penguin. It's a six-foot-tall albino blind penguin. <laughs> That's friendly and just That's kind friendly. of waddling around. Yeah, and li- apparently has been living in these caves for, you know, hundreds of thousands it of years. It seems like they're like cattle. Like, the, yes. they kept them there as food, and now they're just like... There. Yeah, which I, I think was smart <laughs> of Lovecraft, because... Even then, there was sort of like that fanboy notion of like, well, what did the Shoggoths eat if they were living in that the caves the whole time? Oh, giant penguins. They just ate giant penguins. Also, this, uh, Aaron asked me to flag this moment. He wanted me to find an example where Lovecraft talks for two gigantic paragraphs and then at the end says, <laughs> to be brief, and summarizes. <laughs> and, okay. and this is, it pertains to the penguins. We could just do one of them. Sure. Should I? Read yeah, go it? for it. Okay, all right. I could almost cut it. Yeah, yeah. You can cut it down because it's long. I'll just do a dissolve. For you. Yeah, <laughs> I just <laughs> talk and yeah, <laughs> keep talking. Okay, so here we go. I'm going. I'm only doing. There's two huge paragraphs. I'm going to do one. Okay. Had it been some trace of that bizarre musical piping over a wide range, which Lake's dissection report had led us to expect in those others, and which indeed our overwrought fancies had been reading into every wind howl we had heard since coming on the camp horror, it would have had a kind of hellish congruity with the eon dead region around us. And Eon dead region around us. A voice from other epochs belongs in a graveyard of other epochs. As it was, however, the noise shattered all our profoundly seated adjustments, all our tactic acceptance of the inner and Antarctic as a waste as utterly and... Oh, this is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> void of every vestige of normal life as the sterile disk of the moon. What we heard was not yeah, the fabulous note of response. Anyway. Instead, it was a thing so mockingly normal and so unerringly familiarized by our sea days off Victoria Land and our camp days at McMurdo Sound that we shuddered to think of it here where such things ought not to be. To be brief, <laughs> it was simply the squawking of a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> to be brief. So, <laughs> a massive, if, if that show or whatever he's on, his interview is on, is like, if it'll be on later, they're just going to cut that. To be brief, it was a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the squawk. Too long, too long didn't read. It was a penguin. <laughs> 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 and he does that a lot. Yeah. Amazing. That was I thought I was like, "What? There's penguins in here?" I was like thrown for a loop. I was like, what? So there, so yeah, there's that freak out moment. You see the penguin and then suddenly then the penguin gets scared and starts running away like, "Wait, what's the penguin running from?" And then they start hearing like that whistling noise where it's like, "Ooh, ooh." And then Oh, C3PO. R2. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, they uh, and then the penguin starts running away, and they're like, what? comically, I bet maybe we should run away now too with yes. from whatever the penguin's running. Follow from. the herd, yes. Uh, and at first, they think they think it's it's the elder thing sort of coming after them uh, in vengeance for its fallen comrades, or to just dissect them. <laughs> but then uh, eventually, they start they start to realize, oh. It might actually be that the Shoggoths have been alive this whole time and are still prowling around ready to, to eat us and just and kill anything that comes Well in. that that realization comes at the very end, right? That right. that's what it actually is. It's it's the Shoggoths that have taken over and killed everything. Yeah, they just see this huge slug amorphous blob. Yeah, they spend, he the spends like he spends like t- 20 30 pages alluding to what his uh, to what he and uh, his dead forth, uh, and his little dead forth uh, saw in those last brief moments as they ran finally ran out of the caves uh, at the mountains of madness, and eventually it's revealed that as they were running, they turned back and instead of seeing an elder thing, they saw in fact uh, a shoggoth, which was one of these slave slime blobs which was described do you have the, the par- paragraph that it's described it's actually a pretty cool description i'm sure we could find it i have a different line that i really liked um, it's, it starts with danforth uh muttering like in his gibbering insanity just sa- saying like the na- names and he's like what are these names and, he, and then i was like and then with sudden realization i realized he was reading the names of train stops Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Shout out to Boston and Cambridge. Yeah, and the train, and he's like, "Why was he saying the names of train stops?" And it's because the the Shoggoth was so massive in this tunnel that it was filling the entire thing and just pushing a massive wave of air in front of it, similar to how a subway would. Oh, here I found the subway stations. So if if you want to look, it starts, oh, sure. starts here. So this is, I'll do a little Lovecraft reading. This is how Lovecraft I think should be read. South Station under, Washington under, Park Street under, Kendall Central Harvard. The poor fellow was chanting the familiar stations of the Boston-Cambridge Tunnel that burrowed through once peaceful native soil, thousands of miles away in New England. Yet to me the ritual had neither irreverence nor home feeling. It had only horror, because I had knew unerringly the monstrous Nefandus analogy that had suggested it. We had expected, upon looking back, to see a terrible and incredibly moving entity in the mists. 
Wait. If the mists, <laughs> in the mists were thin enough, but of that entity we had the, formed a clear idea. What we did see, for the mists were indeed all too malignly thin, was something altogether different and immeasurably more hideous and detestable. It was the utter objective embodiment of the fantastic <laughs> novelist's thing that should not be, and its nearest comprehensible analogue is a vast onrushing subway train at w as one sees it from a station platform, the great black front looming colossally out of infinite subterraneous distance, constellated with strangely colored lights and filling the prodigious burrow as pistons fill a cylinder. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the, as, as it got closer, they could hear the whistling was actually a language, uh, which was... Still came that eldritch mocking cry, Tekalili, Tekalili. And at last we remembered that the demonic shoggoths, given life, thought, and plastic organ patterns solely by the old ones, and having no language that saved that which the dot groups expressed, had likewise no voice save for the imitated accents of their bygone masters. <laughs> so the so the To be brief, it was a shaggoth. <laughs> <laughs> to be brief, it was a Shoggoth, and he was imitating an Eldritch thing. Also, um, I have my favorite line from the end like to talk about. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like it also, it. it's a theme that has been used time and again in so many sci-fi uh, movies. So, he says, It is absolutely necessary for the peace and safety of mankind that some of Earth's dark, dead corners and unplumed depths be let alone, least sleeping abnormalities wake to resurgent life and blasphemously surviving nightmares squirm and splash out of their black layers to newer and wider conquests. Yeah, yeah. So leave shit alone. That's literally the theme line of every single thing that Lovecraft has ever written. But, but I think so many... So many sci-fi movies and stories and books to come after it. I yeah. mean, Jurassic Park is a bad example, <laughs> but sleeping so dogs many. Lie. Yeah, like and sort of let sleeping dogs lie as applies as it applies to scientific inquiry. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly, Listen, guys. I yes. know there's this cool shit there, <laughs> but there's one at least one horrible thing there. <laughs> yeah, it's th th so. Be don't careful. take your giant militaries that yeah. could easily defeat one of them. Probably. Yeah. Don't do that. Although I think it was implied that it was like a race of thousands were hidden deeper, in that. Oh yeah, deeper. it was implied that their the elder things underwater city, their last refuge was taken over. Yeah, and that's where it's the just thing filled was coming with shoggoths yeah. that just have parties barbecuing giant blind penguins <laughs> yeah. and wait for Aww. haphazard humans to stumble into their layers. Yeah. So so Danforth and Dyer freak out and they run off and they get back on the plane and fly away. Also, they only escape because the shoggoths got lost. It's yeah. hinted at because in the in the labyrinth of tunnels they make a right turn and the shoggoths make the wrong turn and they get separated and then they survive, which I thought was kind I of. I think funny. it was because there was a penguin. A penguin <laughs> yeah, squawked a penguin. in the other room and it went after the penguin, thinking that was them. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, for that poor penguin!" But were it not for him, I would not be here so to tell you this tale. He's the real poor hero forth. of the book. Penguin, penguin forth. forth. Penguin forth. He sacrifices himself. Um, <laughs> But as they're flying away, they kind of look over, like, in this part of the mountains where, in the mural, it described that even the elder things fear. They're like, oh, some evil lies there. And then that's, it doesn't say what he is looking at, but he said that's what 
the scaredest he's been. And yeah, there, there's one last like teasing horror even after the Shoggoth. Yeah, Danforth has a breakdown. And Danforth has yeah. a complete like muttering. Blah, 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 I don't know what's happening. Uh, and 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 he was like, but from his whisperings, I heard nothing but little elements of the Dreamlands and Shoggoth and and, and and all of these other things that are essentially uh uh. More eld- it, the rest of the Cthulhu mythos <laughs> is somehow living on this horrible yellow mountain that he that Danforth saw that was in the distance. Well, so. they don't say what it is. He's just like right. it was a because, beyond horror. Because one of them, sorry. or the what? I'm sorry. What's our main character's name? They don't say it that much. Dyer. 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 Uh, Dyer has to take control of the plane because Danforth is having a breakdown. Yeah. And so then, as he's pi- piloting the plane, so he can't see. He's not looking behind him. And then yeah. Danforth sees something, looks behind him, and then has this breakdown and he doesn't know what he sees yeah i don't i don't remember if it's explicit i think it's just hinted at i don't think it's explained Uh, but i listened i listened really closely and there's one reference that i looked up and i was like oh he was saying that mountain contains like even more horrific gods like there's one god there that i think it's referenced that like maybe nyarlathotep or the or the dark masters that he serves or, so it's like uh, even mm-hmm. the the race of slime monsters wasn't enough. He had to put one more teaser that even beyond that there was some this you know dark uh, sort of uh, so what was mountain a giant mountain that had it was a reference to like Nyarlathotep and the Dreamlands. Okay. So basically this there's there's a portal to the astral plane on top of this <laughs> mountain on top of this giant alien city containing uh, blob slime. So this is like a best hits of it was everything. He was just like throwing everything at the wall at this point. So like an Italian grandmother with pasta to see what sticks. Right. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I like. I I was briefly just reading oh. over the history of the, the publication of this, and apparently Lovecraft held on to it for uh, several years before allowing someone to try and publish it. And then when the magazine did publish it, they, you know, they edited it and cut out some sections. And apparently, mm-hmm. he was super mad about it. <laughs> well, it's like. Uh- public domain now like you could find it everywhere yeah now yeah Yeah. i'm saying when when, when he originally published it he was very mad that they cut anything out of it lovecraft is one of those authors who is like on the fringe of going into public domain it's kind of weird because like half of his work is in the public domain his early work and then the other half is not Mm -hmm. uh because there's a there's like the, the his estate keeps renewing the rights on what the ones they can so until they reach the full like I think it's like seventy five year limit of copyright after the author's death, and this might be one of the ones that just crossed over into public domain, or maybe they just have a really hard time enforcing it. Because- <laughs> <laughs> There's a uh, a radio show drama oh, about really? this. Yeah, this was created into like okay. an hour. No, I think it's only like forty five minutes. But I downloaded it. It's like twelve bucks. I couldn't find a free version. Uh-huh. But it's the Dark Adventure Radio Theater, Ooh. and they do it like it's told um, through like the first half or first third is like um, news radio cast. are like world news. Here joins us over wireless radio is Professor Lake and Professor. Oh, there's like War oh, of the cool. Worlds. That's yeah, cool. and it, it it's told like that, and then it gets into like real life. Oh. Denforth, come over here. What do you think this is? Mm-hmm. And oh, they, cool. They like talk through what they're doing. It does. It does seem like something that would lend itself to that sort of radio drama, yeah. just because it is so descriptive of people describing exactly what they're looking at. And it kind of yeah. cuts back to like present day, where he's sitting in this interview, and they're like, 
the interviewee's like viewer is like you got this all from the mural? Oh, yes. They're very good at... <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. They're very detailed murals. Yeah, yes. <laughs> their artists were very great at um, transcending emotions. <laughs> and also language, because we understood it perfectly clear. Yeah. We're humans. <laughs> and we're just the jesters in the corner. It's like yeah. the perfect emoticon was yeah. up there. The, yeah. the, oh, that guy's scared of that thing. Yeah. That means that we were created. (laughs) But it's, um, I was listening to the car for the first third, and it seemed like they did like the radio static, and it was really hard to hear, at least in the car. I was like, okay, guys, I get it. I fucking get it. Lay back on the static and the distortion. (laughs) But then I put on headphones, and it was a lot more clear on their So was this like a more recent adaptation? Yeah, I think probably like 2000s. Oh, okay. Maybe even 2010. Well, I, I also uh, have an article here. So Guillermo del Toro wanted to make At the Mountains of Madness for many, many years. And he, at one point, had Spielberg attached and mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. And, <laughs> I mean, which, who knows about that. But It's an alien movie. It's got to be Tom it's Cruise. It's got to be Tom Cruise. Everything. But then what killed it is uh, was the release of Prometheus. Because oh. Prometheus, and no one's saying that, that they copied this, but because of the, the similarities yeah. and and just um, they, you know, they're exploring as an expedition and they discover this the, alien race. There was that, Guillermo said that that may have killed it forever, but definitely for a long time. I mean, it well, is kind of the same story, honestly. I kind of got... Similar. I, I, I thought what killed it was that it doesn't have a happy ending, <laughs> and there's no like love interest, or it's it's not really a movie type thing. Well, it's kind of like to the, adapt. it's like You'd that movie to... The Mist that was based on the Stephen King novella, mm-hmm. where it, it where it just ends with the family committing suicide in a in a car. <laughs> It's a spoiler alert. Well, the main character survives, which is indicative of a horror movie. Like in you have one, no, no. The in this oh. book, oh yeah, one person, well, two make it out. One person still has their sanity, and I mean that's enough. You can definitely add characters. <laughs> yeah, like and mark that have, in the wind column. Yeah, yeah. When, the one character who actually survives has like the narrative arc. Like I've learned my lesson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think what would make it a really cool movie is that it is a period piece, and that was part of what was hard. For him to sell it and get people interested, but was, but yeah, people were really cool. yeah cause to have a, a this much of a sci-fi movie take place in the twenties. So what? Cool. I wanted to ask you guys, what would you make? How would you make this a movie? What would you make changes? What kind of elements would you? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I got I, mine. <laughs> I mean, I would. I mean, this is me. I would keep it very much in like the 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 twenties, you know, th- or thirties, oh, like definitely. in the, the yeah. age of exploration. Mm-hmm. Really, otherwise you're like, why don't they just fly a fucking satellite over? Yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, just scan shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> send droids that fly and hover and take yeah. laser pr- imprints of it. Yeah, I th- I think you do do you make it like the old school horror films where you hint at it without showing. You know, that's why Jaws worked was because. You don't see the, the, the actual shark until over halfway through the movie. But you mm-hmm. could show the alien race at some point because you have this other back pocket monster yeah. that you're going to bring out later. You, you might see, like, chunks of it, you know, like, 
like what is this claw that you know but you wouldn't see like the the, the living uh <laughs> monster until in, in the hole until you see it get eaten by something even worse like a shaga you'd have like that that's it's a really dumb moment in Jurassic like the- Park three but it would work here i think <laughs> when like there's there's the t-rex and you think the t-rex is the badass monster of the jurassic park universe and then suddenly the t-rex gets out of nowhere gets chomped by a spinosaur that looks like a dumb duck built dinosaur and it totally kills the (laughs) (laughs) t-rex unless you want to go all 80s about it and do like a really gross in-camera special effect disgusting like a la john carpenter's the thing movie where you just slasher you just practical effects you just throw as much at the people and and you'd show you know. like the the things coming back to life and then yeah. just like slaughtering mm-hmm. i for my movie i would put in a love interest oh yeah definitely dyer's wife is with lake's team Ooh. and ah. so he doesn't know oh, and so that's that, why the he one goes. person that's yeah. still missing is, is his, his wife and that's that would explain why he would keep that's going that's a really good note but also in parentheses, i was like possible adultery <laughs> <laughs> that's like your next layer but that's great nick you just solved the whole movie yeah Maybe we shouldn't put that and we should just write it yeah you should, that, you're, you're a executive you. nick and also of obviously uh action chasing at the end where they're escaping the shagath oh yeah or shagaths or shagaths yeah. well Many, that's multiple. for the sequel and, well the, the way it's well, it just needs to be more than one so as they turn the corner trying to more. escape there's more coming out i, yeah. I actually would really love to see Shagists on screen uh, to see how Hollywood would would represent that. I'm more interested to see them than I am the uh, the elder the ones. elder things. Yeah, <laughs> they might be kind of stupid looking. Yeah, you'd have to be careful with how you. Oh show yeah, them. every starfish artist, head, starfish. Every bodies. artist's depiction I've seen of the elder things look they look like the doofiest fucking things you've ever seen. I think, like if do maybe like a starfish head, but kind of like. Or angle it so it's like uh, Chronicles of Riddick mm. monster. Yeah, maybe not Chronicles. Uh, the first Riddick. Uh, the ones I've seen look like the a, dark a cross monsters. between like a Cuban cigar and a burrito with like a little <laughs> starfish on the I top just, and I, like lame little dude. wings that don't work. I just looked up some pictures. Aren't they stupid? Eee, they're so funny. <laughs> no, it's not scary at all. Hey, everyone! Humanity's first, yeah, but, but humanity's newest teddy bears, the Elder Things. But it's okay that they're not that scary because ultimately they're not the evil yeah, race. You're right. They're but, the intelligent race. But I guess in my mind, when I think of like this, this creature is beyond anything I've ever seen, and they're I mean, vivisecting. It's pretty I don't know. creepy. This this person did a good job. This oh, person. Yeah, that, that's a good one. He, he kind of <laughs> did. An I, I mean, HR I know this Giger. is a podcast. But, did, yeah, like, look it up. They, we found one where he basically made it like hr geeger maybe we can uh, tweet out some of these so you guys can yeah we'll, we'll tweet them oh, on yeah. the my arms or lasers twitter which is the, uh, now is going to time to do a shout out what's the exact is it M- it's at my arms or lasers at all my arms or lasers yep. yeah and i'll give you look at someone at a campsite roasting marshmallows oh, did someone do a panorama of <laughs> <laughs> someone did a cartoon look. they're roasting marshmallows, <laughs> roasting marshmallows with, with, with no with the uh albino penguins ah! <laughs> oh yes thank you for oh, those would be so cool to see on screen. Yeah. yeah if anyone out there wants to send in their own fan art of elder things uh, hanging out with uh, humans or penguins, I will gladly accept it and <laughs> praise it highly on this podcast. Absolutely. So uh, one thing I want to do, kind of a segment, is uh, the moral of the story. And it could be funny, it could be serious, or just like a one-word 
Like, the moral of the story is blank. The moral of the story is uh, never judge a penguin by his cover because he may save your life. (laughs) Good. Uh, The moral is never get mad at a species for dissecting you because you probably just wanted to dissect them. Sometimes, because you're brethren. Sometimes a dissection is just another way of saying hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, moral of the story is never create a slave race. Ooh, that's the real. That's like the good one. <laughs> and also, cold places are bullshit. Yeah, but our slave race is going to be way better. We're. Go- <laughs> this is going to. What they did wrong, we got it this time. <laughs> Guys, look at look at this Shogoth. We'll be better at it. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's a pretty great looking. Shogoth. It's Work like a, in progress. It's uh, it almost yeah yeah. I yeah. mean this this is fucking terrifying. Why yeah. would you ever make this? But these would be good slaves. <laughs> yeah. These terrifying, infinitely could, malleable. This, this yeah. guy this guy could turn into anything. 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 We could control him. Yeah, sure. Well, we'll just put a harness on. Well, they're dumb. <laughs> Wait, can't they just slip through they're the harness? Learning. No, 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 no. The harness will work. I know. <laughs> They had collars on. <laughs> collars. <laughs> oh boy! Well, I, I kind of imagine like, oh, so if the Shagas did get out and like took over our um, civilization and just started copying us, I just kind of imagine like one like wearing a Letterman jacket, looking at a phone, just tapping it like an idiot, just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they can turn. They could turn into humans. Well, so that's the Mountains of Madness. Uh, boy boy meets boy meets boy. Go and meet Elder Things. Meets, meets, meets Shoggoths. Boy. Walks away a gibbering pool of insanity. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't read it. We, it has all this cool stuff, but don't read it. Don't, please, don't, def- don't, don't read it. I mean, definitely no, don't it. go. And definitely don't go after what this guy went after. <laughs> yep. Don't go there. Did you just say go after it? Yeah, go there. I mean, don't... don't I mean, don't, don't go, go there. Don't go there. <laughs> Let's um, find the eldritch things beyond horror. So a couple selfless uh, self-promotion items here. Um, I recently appeared on a, an episode of Drunk Lit. Woo! Along with friend of the show and guest, Brian Carney. And it is our A Song of Ice and Fire episode, uh, which everyone pretty much knows is the book series that game of thrones is based on yeah game of thrones and it's really really funny it's a great episode you can go to youtube.com slash drunk lit we're also on twitter at uh drunk underscore lit and we have a facebook page drunk literature on facebook so you you can find a link to the episode on any of those mediums ellen is a producer of yes it is uh, a creator yeah, it's it's my my little baby web series. We got an amazing artist who was also a huge fan of the book series and the show to do all of the illustrations. Yeah, so it's like a storybook, but imagine that a with drunken, Ned Stark getting decapitated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's it's a it's she did a pretty good job. It's a drunken <laughs> storytelling to catch it's you a up. Mess. It's a hot mess to catch you up on everything you need to know before Game of Thrones starts next uh, next spring, uh, or if you're just a fan of the books. Yeah. Or getting drunk. Or getting drunk. Or or Nick, a friend of Nick. Uh, Yeah, or you're just a fan of Nick. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, obviously you should... uh, I have a sword. You should check out all the other cool (laughs) Explosive Magical podcasts, like um, there's LOLJK, where you can watch, or where you can listen to uh, Kyle and 
Joey and Kim and Brian all get drunk and do physical challenges for some reason. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, or, you can listen to, or you can listen to Paranoia Shop, which is uh, Chad and I's uh, supernatural pot comedy podcast where we talk about all things conspiratorial or generally weird and make fun of them all. Or you can listen to uh, action is it action climax or just climax? It's just climax. climax. Ex- exclamation point, all capitalized. Okay, I got a little confused by the Twitter. And if you could add an explosion behind it, then yeah, yeah, do it. So climax the podcast uh, <laughs> where it's made by and for fans of action movies, and uh, there's also Wazd and <laughs> Phil. Wazd for video game enthusiasts, Phil for people who just love Phil, <laughs> who can't get their fill of Phil. Boo! I love it. <laughs> Uh, I do like Phil. If you want to write in to us here at My Arms Are Lasers, you can write to us at, is it My Arms Are Lasers at? My Arms Are Lasers at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Or at, tweet us at My Arms Are Lasers. All one word. Or, or you can tweet directly at us individually. I'm good Aaron. Uh, I'm at ET Phone H. I am at Godamus Prime. So join us next episode where we will be reading Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Read along with us and listen to us talk about it. Yeah! Thanks for listening. Let's read books.